If I had a gun to my head and had a free solo cap right now, I probably would be fine. I'd probably make it. You know, I'd give myself 95% maybe. Olympic Channel Podcast. That was Climber and Academy Award winner Alex Honnold. I'm Ed Knowles and this is the official Olympic Channel podcast. We find the best people to talk about the biggest Olympic talking points every single week to inspire and motivate. If you love the Olympics, subscribe right now wherever you find your podcasts. Olympic Channel Podcast. Alex Honnold is one of the best climbers, well, ever. And with climbing's inclusion into the Olympic Games, the opportunity came up to speak to him. Uh, Free Solo is his film uh, that does a profile on him, and it's about his quest to, well, Free Solo up El Capitan in the US of A. That means he went up one of the hardest climbs in the entire world without any ropes. Uh, For him, he says, it was the climb that I wanted and it felt like mastery. The film came out in 2018. It won an Academy Award for the Best Documentary. And frankly, it's one of my favourite films I've seen this year. And I'm not joking, it's one of the best films I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, Here's a clip from the trailer. Everybody who has made free soloing a big part of their life is dead now. I haven't been injured in like seven years. I suddenly start getting injured all the time. What if something happens? What if I don't see him again? I could just walk away, but it's like, I don't want to. I've always been conflicted about shooting a film about free soloing just because it's so dangerous. It's hard to not imagine your friend falling through the frame to his death. And so it's bright and early, and we gave Alex a call. Good morning, Alex. How are you? You all right? Good morning. Yeah, I'm good. Ten minutes out of bed, straight into doing an interview. That's the uh, life of a movie That's, that's how I roll, yeah. It's funny, I've done a lot of interviews. I don't think I've done one but through FaceTime like this. And like... You say that climbing El Cap isn't risky. It's high consequence. Could you t- explain a little bit about what you mean there? Because obviously people would just look at it and think it's ridiculous. Yeah, well, so so what I mean by that is just to separate the... So the, the risk is sort of the likelihood of something bad happening and then the consequences are, you know, what will actually happen if... You know, what are the consequences of something bad happening? And so obviously when you look at El Cap, the consequences are always going to be death. I mean, if you fall off the wall, you're going to die. But the risk, you can't really, you know, the likelihood of falling off the wall can't really be determined just by looking at it because depending, you know, it depends on how easy the climbing is. It depends on how skilled the climber, the, the person doing the climbing is. Um, <clears throat> you know, you know, there are a lot of factors that go into how likely you are to fall off. You know, like if it's raining, it's a lot riskier. But if it's a perfect, beautiful day out, it's less risky. You know, and so I think that when people see a photo of El Cap, they're like, that's risky. You know, that's, that's, not, a, that's not the right way to look at it. You know, it's extremely high consequence, but the risk depends on the preparation and the training and everything that goes into it. But yeah, I mean, I think what was interesting, though, was that that how you managed to eliminate risk from uh, your head so that you didn't have any doubt so that you could just concentrate on the process itself of getting that, it. That's kind of the joy of free soloing, I think, is to take something that seems really... Was something that is high consequence and that seems really scary and seems really risky, and then to basically mitigate the risk. I mean, you know, free soloing is really all about risk mitigation, risk management. You know, basically through preparation, through training, through you know, just through the whole process, making it feel comfortable and safe. I mean, because because 
really a big part of the pleasure is being up on the wall in a position that should be totally insane and should be scary, but isn't, you know, because of all your work, because of the, because of the training you've done to get there, you can be in this position and feel totally comfortable. And, and, and that's awesome, you know, because I know that for me a few years ago, it would have been completely impossible to be in that position, but because of all the hard work and, and, and effort to get there now, now it suddenly is possible. I mean, that's, you know, I, I was, seems slightly cliche, but you know, like making the impossible possible, it's like, I mean, it, it, yeah, it feels incredible. Would you ever put yourself in a position now where you hadn't done the preparation and, and do something like that? Or is it, you know, is the preparation actually the key, the key thing? I mean, I've done a lot of free soloing with no preparation, um, though in, or without specific preparation without going up on the route and memorizing the route. But in that case, you're sort of relying on your more general preparation, you know, your more general fitness and training and, and capabilities. And, uh, and I'm sure I'll continue to do that in the future to some extent, just go up and, and free solo things without rehearsing them beforehand. But the, the idea is that you sort of keep it within your comfort zone. You know, you make sure that it's, uh, you know, that the grades are appropriate to what you can physically do and, and, and sort of remain open to the, the possibility that you might have to just climb back down if you get to a point where the rock is bad or you feel uncomfortable for whatever reason. And with the, like the visualization stuff that you were you you were you were doing, you know, like you'd had it completely in your head, basically, uh, exactly what you were going to do. Could you do it now, or was it is it like kind of like an exam? Is it kind could, of like could I free solo a cap right now? Yeah. Um, uh, no, I couldn't do it right. Well, no, if I had a gun to my head and had a free solo cap right now, I probably would be fine. I'd probably make it. Um, you know, I'd give myself 95% maybe. But because um, I'm probably just as fit as, as I was, or, or close anyway. I think, I think it'd be okay. But, um, but I think with a couple months of, of training, I could get right back into the same spot. I mean, I think the first time it took me sort of two years of effort to, to feel comfortable and ready. And I think I could probably get back to that same spot in, in a month or two. So what does the man who conquered El Cap do next? Make another movie? I suppose that would be a good start. And he's already actually making one with his friend and top climber, Tommy Caldwell, which will be out soon. The achievement is already done. Uh, Tommy and Alex broke the speed record for climbing the nose on El Cap and they did it in under two hours. Now that got me thinking because there's another man trying to beat a speed record at the moment, Kenyan runner and Olympic champion, Elliot Kipchoge. He's trying to do a marathon in under two hours. I wondered what Alex thought about that huge feat of human endeavour. One of the things that I'm obsessed with at the moment is uh, Iliad Kipchoge's um, kind of mission to break the two-hour barrier in the marathon. And I was wondering, is this the sort of thing that you get, like, super... Do you, like, nerd out on these, like human endeavor things i mean are you into the kipchoge um kind of you know shaving seconds off by doing this and, and like all that kind of data style kind of kind of to a point i mean i think when you start talking shaving seconds with you know big data you know harnessing the power of the cloud to shave a hundredth of a second i'm like ah you know it starts to lose the the fun of competition to me or you know the fun of, of striving but um right. But no, I mean, the two-hour marathon, yeah, I mean, big milestones in sport, yeah, I'm totally into it. I mean, breaking the four-minute mile, you know, two-hour marathon, like, they're obvious, you know, almost like elemental goals where you're like, oh, that's, that's awesome. 
funny, last summer, actually, a friend and I were trying to break the two-hour mark on climbing El Cap, uh, climbing the nose in sub-two hours is the speed record on El Cap. And uh, we people had sort of equated it to the two-hour marathon, though, as it turns out, it's much, much easier than the two-hour marathon because we wanted doing it in an hour 58. And, and there's tons more room for improvement, but uh, but we just called it good when we broke two. But, um, but it was sort of, it was a challenge in the same way to climb a 3,000-foot wall in less than two hours. Well, that, that's your new film that's going to come out, right? Is oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's uh, coming out in Real Rock this year. So there'll be like a 45-minute film about it touring around this year. With Tommy Caldwell, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Actually, I'm going to see the first cut of it uh, tomorrow or the next day. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited because I honestly don't even totally remember which days they were filming or what exactly we did. You know, I basically have no idea what's in the film, and so I'm kind of looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, it's also a bit terrifying because it's like the, those cameras were pointing at you probably for a long time, like, well, how have they cut this together to make me look like something? Well, it can't be, it can't be any worse than Free Solar because th that they were filming for two years, and it was like they basically just got my whole life for two years. You know, at least the speed climbing film, is just it was just a month that we were in Yosemite. I mean, with Tommy, I mean, his life is like crazy you know, his uh, losing the finger, for example. I mean, do you think people make too many excuses these days about their kind of circumstances? Yeah, I, I don't know if that's these days or anything. I mean, I think that there's always sort of a spectrum of, of humans who, uh, you know, are stopped by adversity and humans who thrive in adversity. I mean, I think Tommy is very much somebody who thrives in adversity. I mean, to, to have been kidnapped by terrorists and come back from it stronger and then to cut off a finger and come back from it stronger and, and, and to still perform at the highest level with a, you know, with a wife and two kids. And uh, I mean, you look at Tommy and you're like, I mean, he's, he's pretty inspiring, but that's also why there's a film about him. I mean, you know, you watch the Don Wall and you're just like, this is so incredible. I mean, he's, he's one of the most inspiring humans, you know, that, that I've ever met for sure. Um, you know, and then, and then certainly there's the whole other end of the spectrum where people are like, oh, well, you know, it's just so hard to hold down a job. I'm just not into it. And I don't know, you know, whatever. I know people, like some people are just lazier. I mean, that's, but I think, you know, there's always the full spectrum of humanity. I mean, Tommy is yeah. so hardworking, it's, it's kind of outrageous. And you definitely wouldn't want the whole world to be that way because, you know, it's almost a little too much. You're like, oh, man. You know what I mean? Like, there are always going to be some, some people, you know, who are a little more relaxed. That was uh, my, I was watching uh, The Dawn Wall for the first time, actually, with my dad last night. And um, we were watching it together. And he was like, he he's hadn't been over since we watched Free Solo together, so we're kind of having this like these experiences together. And he was like, "Man, I bet they hate each other, Alex and Tommy." I was like, "No, no, no there's this new film coming out with them both together." I mean, what um, have you noticed that people are kind of writing their own storylines now that you've been like kind of moved into like A-list celebrity zone? No, no, for sure. I mean, yeah, everybody comes out of Free Solo with their own interpretation, their own you know, ideas about motivations and, and drive and, and everybody has their opinion about my relationship with my girlfriend and what that means. I mean, she gets tons of people reaching out to her being like, oh, it's so brave that you've survived this abusive relationship. And she's like, huh, you know, like you watched the film and that's what you came away with. But, you know, obviously there are plenty, of, like I say, plenty of insensitive things in the film and I come off as, as not the best boyfriend in times. And so, you know, people watch that and they're like, oh, that guy's a bad boyfriend. But over, I mean, we've been dating three and a half years. It's a great relationship. You're sort of like, oh, you know, you can't watch a 90 minute film and, and really understand somebody's life. But though I'm really curious why your dad would think that we would dislike each other. <laughs> like Tommy is probably like my closest. It says Tommy a lot friend. of things about my dad. I think that's more than the uh, that it that it says anything about anything else. Um, I'm also really jealous 
of your not of of, of you in general, but the, no, it's specifically of like your focus uh, and self belief. Do you have like doubts about you know, like clearly you don't have many doubts about climbing? You've got that kind of nailed, you know, like you have your day to day kind of business doubts about climbing. Is there something that you you know? Do you doubt yourself in other areas of life? Yeah, I mean, of course. Uh, and even in climbing, I mean, I doubt aspects of my climbing. I mean, the thing with free soloing is that, or or confidence in general, it has to be founded on on something of substance. You know, you actually have to be able to do the thing that you think you can do. And so with free soloing, I mean, I make sure that I can do it. And then and then once I know that I can, then it's easy for me to, you know, I, mean, I think of it all more as, as rationalism, I guess. You know, there are some things that I can do and there's some things that I can, and I try to know the difference. Um, but I mean, talking about self-belief or confidence, I mean, public speaking used to be horrifying for me. Like going out on stage was, was horrifying. Um, but now having been forced to do it pretty much nonstop for months and months with the film tour, I feel quite comfortable. You know, it's just a matter of practicing and, and getting used to things and, and then having confidence. You know, once you've done many things, obviously that naturally builds confidence because you, you know you can do it. You know, it's based on numbers. The TED Talk is funny. It's like, it's like surprisingly, uh, the delivery actually is really, really good. Yeah, my, the TED Talk was actually the most nervous I've ever been while giving a talk. I was completely horrified because it's really, really stressful to perform. You know, basically it was a 10-minute speech, and you're performing it in front of a live audience of something like 3,000 people, but you're not really talking to the audience. You're talking to the camera because it's all being recorded for, you know, to, be, to go online. And so you can't really joke with the audience the way you normally would. You can't just, you can't say, I'm nervous, like, you know, ha-ha, and have everybody laugh and have a nice time. You just have to perform for the camera. I found it so stressful. I've never memorized something that long. I think one of the things after the Olympics, anyway, that we speak to people a lot is like this uh, post-Olympic blues. So like, you know, Michael Phelps has talked about it a lot where, you know, you've achieved this like amazing thing. And then you have like this afterwards, you kind of have to decompress a little bit. As I, I don't get the impression that's happened to you, but is, am I wrong? No, I think you're kind of right, but I think that's partially because being a professional climber is really different than being an Olympian in generally, I think, because with the Olympics, you're really just building up for the one event every four years. But with climbing, anytime you're feeling inspired, you can kind of seek out a new challenge. You can push yourself in whatever way you want. And so in theory, you shouldn't really have as much of a come down from something because you're not sacrificing everything to build up for this one event. You're just kind of consistently going out and doing the thing that you love to do and trying to do it at a high level. And so, you know, I mean, like I was just saying, after I free soloed El Cap, I immediately went on an expedition to Alaska and then later in the year went to Antarctica and then and then did the speed record. And, and so I had all these other things lined up. I didn't have to wait four more years. You know, I didn't feel like I'd have to put my life on hold for four years to train for the next big event. I could just go right into the things that I wanted to do. If you know, like, if you had some advice then, I suppose, for someone who was like on that four year cycle, it was basic, but basically just to have like some kind of goals that were non-Olympic related? Well, or maybe not even goals. I mean, the thing about climbing is that there's a ton of joy in climbing in the day to day, just going out climbing every day. And, and I imagine that somebody like Michael Phelps must love swimming. I mean, he must love being in the pool and doing laps, but, but just grinding out training sessions can't be nearly as fun as, as going and climbing new routes in Antarctica or something. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that the climbing might just be fundamentally more fun in some ways. You know, I mean, I think that, that for a lot of sports, you're just training hard. It's just physical toil for years and years so that you can perform, uh, you know, at the Olympics or at the World Championships or whichever event you're training for. 
Um, I don't know. I think that there's just more joy in the day-to-day of climbing. I think a lot of people take joy from, like, their sports, but not so much their training, if you make, if that makes sense. You know, like, they, they enjoy performing or, you know, like, yeah, competing. I, I think my point is that most sports have fewer opportunities to perform. With climbing, you can go perform every day. You just go do your sport any day that you want, and for the most part, that's how you train. But I think that for, yeah, I mean, most sports, you don't really get to... to or actually, I mean, so... Um, I had a long conversation with an NFL player, um, you know, not the Olympics, but, but talking about uh, about football. And it was interesting because he loved football. I mean, obviously, he's played football his entire life. He loves it. But the thing is, the only time he gets to play is during NFL games now, because otherwise there's risk of injury and there's no, you know, they, he never just plays football for fun. He only plays when it's high consequence, high, you know, high pressure, like he has to perform. And I was like, man, in some ways that kind of kills the joy of the thing that you love to do because you only get to do it when it's super high stress and it's intense. You know, you never get to just go out and play football for fun. The thing about climbing is you go out and play football all the time to practice. Well, you go out and climb all the time to practice, and then you get to perform anytime you're inspired. Alex is also looking forward to seeing climbing at the Olympics. It's going to be there for the very first time at Tokyo 2020. He won't compete, but he would like to go and watch in some way. Um, So let's talk about climbing and the Olympic Games. Um, Sport climbing will be at Tokyo 2020. The three different elements, bouldering and lead climbing. And then the thing that's gone viral on uh, the internet a couple of times, the speed climbing as well. Um, What do you make of... um, climbing at the Olympic Games. It's got to be a good thing for climbing, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see climbing in the Olympics. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to continue to grow the sport. I think it's good for, for the individual climbers. I mean, obviously, whoever wins the Olympics is going to be a big deal in climbing and a big deal globally. Um, you know, probably will bring in more sponsorship money, probably uh, help climbers make a living. Because currently, I mean, if you're competing on the World Cup circuit, uh, most of the people doing well in competitions around the world, they're supported by their their national climbing federations, or you know, basically their government is helping them. But there isn't that much money in climbing, and so it's not that easy to make a living as one of the best climbers in the world. And so, I'm sure the Olympics will help that. But mostly, I just want to watch it. I mean, it's just you know, I mean, I love climbing and I love seeing people perform at the highest levels, and I think that the Olympics will obviously bring that out. Sure. I mean, like, would you like to go to Tokyo 2020? That no, no, I definitely want to go to Tokyo 2020. I mean, I want to, I want to just. Yeah, I mean, the first time climbing is, is I mean, you know, I wish I could compete at that level, but but basically I'm too old and too weak. And so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll settle for watching and enjoying. I think there's nothing quite like the 15 meter sprint up a wall in five seconds. I mean, there's not, it's quite visceral. You can, you know, like for any random member of the public and like definitely it's just really easy to get your head around, basically, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because there's been a lot of pushback within the climbing community against speed climbing because uh, most people specialize in bouldering and lead climbing, and then speed climbing is sort of its own discipline. And so I think a lot of the high-end climbers are annoyed that they have to learn a new sport, basically. But I can definitely see the appeal because, you know, like you said, it's way more spectator-friendly. And also it's more obvious in some ways. You know, I mean, it makes sense that people are competing on the same track. You know, like when you think of of swimming or running or any other events, they're all measured in the same set way. And so it makes sense that climbing would would have something along the same lines. Um, Not saying that that the current speed wall is necessarily the best possible speed wall or anything, but 
but you know, it makes sense that people all compete on a standardized course. Uh, I don't know. I mean, plus I think I, I mean it's pretty hard, <laughs> and so I think it's a worthy thing to to compete in. But but I think most climate competitors just don't want to have to learn. <laughs> I saw a video of you going up the the speed climbing wall as well. I was impressed. I thought you were going to be slower than you were. I, I I felt very bad. I was like, wow, this is a lot harder than I expected, and I feel very slow. But um, but I, honestly, for my very first time ever trying it, because so much of it comes down to to muscle memory, I guess you know, memorizing the moves, being able to execute it uh, unselfconsciously, you know, without having to think about it, and so. Uh, Actually, maybe since I'm here again today, maybe I'll try the same wall. <laughs> it's slightly <laughs> embarrassing, though, because it's a bit of a spectacle. You know, you wind up with everyone staring at you. Yeah, everyone's like, where's my phone? I'd be like, definitely trying to get my phone out if you kind of even went and kind of looked at that. So, yeah, thankfully it's early in the morning. Maybe I can give it a go. Uh, as a kid, when you grew up, I mean, you, I've read on your like Instagram and stuff, you said this before, how like it's cool to speak to, you know, international media and stuff, but you'll always have kind of your, um, like the me the climbing media will always be more, more to you. I mean, when you were, you were a kid and kind of reading those magazines, did you ever think that like climbing could be an Olympic sport? Yeah, actually in some ways, I mean, I think as a kid, I could imagine climbing in the Olympics more than I could imagine the mainstream growth of climbing. You know, like I never would have really imagined nice facilities like we're in today. And I, and I wouldn't have imagined so many people climbing, but I could see it being in the Olympics just because I feel like the Olympics have always sort of celebrated competition and sport. And, uh, you know, I mean, and I think climbing makes sense in that context. I mean, there were climbing competitions all the way back in, you know, the eighties and nineties. And so, you know, people have been competing for a long time and it makes sense for them, for them to compete on the biggest stage. I just never would have imagined that climbing would grow so much. I think one of the interesting things uh, to do with the Olympics as well was that when I was at the Youth Olympic Games in Buenos Aires, um, it was in the urban park. And in some ways you would think, oh, how does that, how does like climbing fit in with like braking or BMX or skateboarding? You know, you'd think, oh, I don't know how this is going to work. But actually it worked really, really well because there was kind of like people bouldering like, you know, pretty much the whole time. And so people would like music festival style, like watch a little bit of breaking, then go and watch someone boulder for a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in general, people enjoy watching excellence. You know, people enjoy seeing people perform at a high level. I mean, I, I was recently at an event that was a sort of an unusual men's clubby thing, but um, but there was an organ performance. And so there was an organist just sitting there performing. I, you know, I don't know that much about music. I don't really care about the organ per se, but he was incredibly talented. And so after I sat and watched for a minute, I just got totally transfixed by it. Cause I was like, I couldn't believe how quickly his hands and feet and what he was doing. And, and he was playing all by, by memory, you know, with no music. And he was just going, he was just raging on the organ. And I was like, man, I've never seen a human perform that way. And I think to some extent, people seen, you know, I mean, watching somebody boulder like that is a bit of a novel experience where you're like, I didn't know a human body could stick to a wall like that. I can't believe the way they're moving. I can't believe how well trained they are. You know, I mean, it's just incredible to see what humans are capable of. Watching free solo is actually pretty scary. Alex is like dangling off the side of these sheer cliff faces. I mean, obviously he's quite fearless. So I devised a game to see if Alex was actually scared of anything. 
al podcast. It's uh, fun to think about things that scare you. And so I've come up with a list of things that potentially you are scared of. Is it scary, yes or no? Are you scared of heights? No. Are you scared of ghosts? No. Are you scared of inflation? No. Are you scared of snakes? Uh, not not that much, but I don't really like snakes. Are you scared of deep water? Not 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 really, I guess. But don't 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 love swimming either, but you know. Um, are you scared of heavy metal music? No, no, definitely not. Are you scared of Justin Bieber? Uh, I mean, maybe a little bit more than inflation. Are you scared of marriage? Uh, you know, a little bit, maybe. <laughs> Are you scared of clowns? No. Well, that's, I mean, yeah. Well, it's just rational. I mean, who? why would you be afraid of a clown? It's just some dude wearing a suit. Scared of losing a finger? Uh, a little, I mean, I, yeah, I'd rather not. I wouldn't say I'm afraid of it, though, but I'd rather not get, you know, I'd rather not lose any parts. And are you scared of babies? Uh, I mean, yeah, a little, I'm, a, I'm always a little afraid of hurting babies. You know, I don't, I don't really know how to hold them. So, uh, you scored five out of 11 on our very, very scientific test. Anyway, Alex... Man, thank you so much for uh, coming along and doing this without any breakfast and the rest of it. It's been super cool to have you. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. Olympic Channel Podcast. Massive thanks to Alex. It was an absolute real pleasure to talk to him. You can give him a follow on Instagram where he's obviously called Alex Honnold. You can follow me. I'm at Eddie Knowles with an I and an E. If you have enjoyed this episode, then tell someone about it. Ideally, put it up on your Instagram story. Give us a tag on at Olympic Channel so we can see it or send a tweet or plain old-fashioned just talk to someone about it in real life. If you missed our episode from a couple of weeks ago with co-host viral gymnast Caitlin Ohashi, then you missed out on a few interviews that we did with climbers as well. We had Alex Johnson and also Ashima Shiraishi. Here's a clip. I think it's kind of like the best and like perfect scenario with climbing, having its first Olympic debut and then having it in Tokyo because that's where my parents are from. Um, like I get support from both crowds you know you can find a link for that episode in the episode description if you've made it this far and you've still not given us a five star review on the podcast app then we are going to fall out eventually go over to that podcast app right now give us five stars and write a few kind words it would really be much appreciated that's it for now though see you soon think like an Olympian, Olympian.